All right. Well, we're going to launch into our, our passage today, and I purposely tried to just keep it a little shorter than normal. You won't have to struggle with the kiddos back there for 50 to 60 minutes, uh, probably more between 30 and 40 in that range. So hopefully we'll, we'll get through that. If you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to finish what we began last week. I thought this would be appropriate title for what we're going to study today as we honor mothers. It's the role of the godly woman. And, um, you know, we, we, we talked about some hard things last week that are uh, certainly hard for people to swallow in today's culture, but I hope that you found encouragement from it. Um, it is a blessing to me uh, to know so many that um, desire to live the way God wants them to live, and, and it's only by living the way he calls us to live that we find true blessing. And I want to encourage you with that. And if you recall the situation, just going back to recap a bit, in Corinth, there was sort of a women's liberation movement that had begun in, in Corinth to correct some of the cultural uh, abuses against women, but that movement had sort of spread uh, into some of the women in, in the church, so they were, they were throwing off the head coverings. They were taking those things off and, and uh, not wearing those anymore, and if you remember, that was a, a symbol, at least in that culture, of, a, of the woman's submission to, to a man, and some of the church members just were curious about what Paul's thoughts were on that. They had written to Paul, and so he was, he was addressing that. And I just want to take you back to recap here, uh, verses 4 to 6 of chapter 11. Paul said this, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Now, why did Paul say that a man dishonors his head when it's covered? Or why did he say that a woman dishonors her head when it's when uncovered? Well, that's because of the divine principle that he's given us in verse 3. So go back to that real quick. It says this, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And this is an amazing statement. What it tells us is that God has built into every uh, aspect of, of relationships this idea of authority and submission. From the human level, right, all the way up to the Godhead, that within the Trinity there is this idea of authority and, and submission. It has nothing to do with inferiority. Christ is not inferior to God, right? But he has submitted himself to the authority of the Father. In a similar sense, humans are not inferior to Christ, at least believing humans, in the sense that when God looks upon a believer, he sees Christ in us. And we're told in 1 John 3, 2, that one day we will be like him. But humans, all of us, are in subjection to Christ. Similarly, women are not inferior to men, but they are called to be in subjection to men. Now, here's why this is all so important. What Paul has done is he's tied these three aspects of authority all together. They're inseparably linked. You just can't just pick which one you want to believe. You can't reject one without rejecting all of them. You can't reject the submission of a man to a woman, but then also reject um, or accept Christ's submission to the Father. You'd have to reject that. You either accept all three or reject all three. And I want to remind you is at what this is based on. It's based on love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Christ loves you, the church. 
And you and I, we, we love Christ. And a husband loves his wife and a wife her husband. But today in our world, submission, that S word, has sort of become a dirty word. You know, we think of it negatively. It has a negative connotation. And even in the church, there are some who, women who fight for the so-called um, equality of, of, of women. But men and women are equal. There's no reason to fight for that. That is true. In Christ, we're all equal. We just have simply been assigned different roles. And so for a woman to desire the leadership role of a man is really for her to consider her role less significant. I don't know if women realize that they do that to themselves, but that perspective really diminishes the importance of a day like today. Why would we set a day aside for mothers to honor them if, if that's really not an honorable role? Does that make sense? Well, no, our world doesn't make sense today. Why would we do that? I mentioned that there were movements throughout history of, of feminism. The second movement began with a, maid, a lady named Betty Friedan. She launched it with a book called The Feminine Mystique. And that word mystique really is referring to the feminine myth. Okay, what is the feminine myth? Well, in her mind, that was a woman who limited her role to house, spouse, and children, right? And the myth was that a woman could find fulfillment and happiness in that role. That's just a myth. Can't be done. You can't find fulfillment there. And so many read that book and agreed and, and felt like, oh, we just can't find fulfillment in this idea of submitting to a man and just, you know, maybe relegating themselves to house, spouse, home. But listen, submission is not demeaning and it's not confining. Women can find the ultimate fulfillment by embracing God's design and will for their lives. Submission to God and his design, I think, is the path to true freedom when we really truly understand what he wants for us. He only wants good things for us, right? So God has designed the roles of submission and authority to really, I think, accommodate the makeup of, of a woman. And we're going to see that today because it goes all the way back to creation. And that's really where Paul is going to go with the second half of today. His argument is going to be based on, on that. He's presented a very important principle. It's the basis of his entire argument. And when you just look at that principle alone that he gave in verse 3, you could have people going to him and saying, that sounds great, Paul, but where'd you get that idea from, right? How do you, how do you know that's true? And he wants to show them where he got that from. And so today he's going to continue to defend his, his, uh, his idea there, the principle of headship. Four things we're going to look at briefly today, the divine order of creation, the demonstration before angels, the defense from nature and the dictate of the church. So let's read the passage. We're looking at verses 7 through 16 today. Verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as women came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But also things are from God. Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Let's pray. 
God, we do pray again today that you would just be with us now as we uh, open up your word, Lord. Uh, somewhat of a difficult passage again, Lord, today. We just pray that your spirit would be with us, uh, Lord, that you would speak truth, that you would penetrate hearts that need to hear truth, Lord, and, and reveal it as such, Lord, that as this is your divine word. It's your perfect plan for us. And Lord, just may we, may we heed what you have for us today. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, let's just look at point one. It's the divine order of creation. Just look at the first part of verse seven again. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Now, again here, Paul is taking this whole idea of head coverings beyond the cultural. Yes, it was cultural, but he goes beyond the cultural here. Why? He says, because man is the image and glory of God. A man shouldn't cover his head, because he's the image and glory of God. Now, what does that mean? What's going on there? Well, first, I think we have to consider why men were covering their heads. I mentioned it briefly last uh, week, that sort of a, a reversal of roles might have been taking place. But also, you had to believe there were probably some Jews in attendance. When Paul came to Corinth, he went to the synagogue to begin with. That's where Sosthenes was saved. And, and this whole letter is from Paul and Sosthenes, right? Um, and so certainly there might be converted Jews in the congregation and and you know when whenever they prayed they would cover their heads that's what the rabbis told them to do and that whole premise was based on a misinterpretation from Exodus 33 do you remember Exodus 33 Moses is on the mountaintop and he wants to see God's glory right and he says show me your glory and God says I can't show you my glory I'll, I'll, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock I'll let myself pass by you can see my back right I, that's how I'll show you my my glory and so he goes up and he sees that glory of God and then he, he uh, veils his face because it's shining, right? And so the rabbi said, oh, you, you, you know, he came down veiled. So he went to talk to God. You need to veil yourself, cover your head when you are talking to God. But the point is this. Um, they misinterpreted it because he didn't wear it in the presence of God. He didn't. He actually took it off for that part. In fact, Paul clarifies this um, and in uh, in well, first of all, in Exodus 34, if you kind of meet, keep going in that passage, it talks about Moses going back and forth and speaking to God, and it says that he would veil uh, himself when he came out, but he would take it off when he went to the Lord. So he veiled himself coming down to the people, and Paul clarifies for us why in 2 Corinthians 3:13, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at what was passing away. So he had a shining face because he had been with God. The glory of God was on his face, but it was fading. It was passing away. And so he veiled that from the people. So going back to the point here, there were men probably that coming from that premise when they prayed or prophesied who were veiling themselves before God. And Paul makes it clear here in our passage that men are, are made in the image and glory of God, and they're not to cover that glory. But man is instead to exercise the dominion that God had given them as the dominant species on the planet. And when he does that, he is glorying God in that way. He represents God's rule on earth. You know, when we talk about the parenting classes, I always tell the parents, you are representing God's authority in the lives of your kids. God is this, you know, it's this concept they can't quite get. But you rule for God at that. Well, man does the same thing. I mean, humans, right? We, we rule for God on the planet Earth. And when we do that, 
we show his glory. But Paul is saying specifically men here. Now stay with me. I'm going to take you back to Genesis to see this. But remember that in the culture, the head covering was a sign of submission, right? And what Paul is doing here is he's tying that into a divine sign of submission because he says, don't cover your head. Don't do it. He doesn't want man to wear the symbol of submission. Why? Because he is the glory of God. Now, what about women? Let's look at that, and then we'll go back to Genesis account to see what he's talking about. Second half of verse 7, he addresses women. But woman is the glory of man. Woman is the glory of man. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Hold on. What? <laughs> what is this talking about? God made male and female, and we're both made in the image of God. Is that not true? Absolutely, it's true. In fact, let's go look at it. Genesis chapter 1. We've got to make sure we know what we're talking about here. Genesis chapter 1. It's uh, verses 26 and 27 is where we see this. Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. Let's look at it. Beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I love this verse because of all the ours and us. Because we, write, we see right there the Godhead talking, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image image uh, anyway going on here um he says let them speaking of humans have dominion over the fish of the sea of the birds of the air over the cattle over all the things and over creeping things that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them you see that so we're told in genesis chapter one male and female were both created in the image of god and we're both given dominion because he says let them have dominion right them so both created in the image of God, both have dominion. But notice what we're not told in Genesis 1. We're not told in that account that man is the glory of God. We're not told that woman is the glory of man, are we? Different, right? Image, glory. We've got to separate those two. But both are made in the image of God. What, what, where's Paul talking about? What's he getting all this? And remember, when you look at chapter 1 of the creation account, it is a broad stroke of creation, isn't it? It's a, it's a big picture of creation. But when you get to chapter 2, it zeroes in on a particular day of creation, doesn't it? What day? Day 6. The day that he made male and female, right? So we say, oh, he made male and female. But then, well, how did he do that? You want to know? Well, guess what? He gave us chapter 2, right? And so we're kind of give a, a zeroed-in picture of what uh, happened on the, in the creation of male and female. And you know what we learn? We learn that one of us was made first. Kids, you all know this answer. Who was made first, man or woman? Huh? They were both made, but do you know which one was first? Adam was first. Adam was first. The man was first. And we find that in Genesis chapter 2. Look at it. If you're still in Genesis, stay there for a bit because we're going we're gonna to look at this for a bit. Verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So man was formed from the dust of the ground by God himself, and it was just man, male, at that point, okay? The Lord God goes and plants this garden, and he puts man in the garden to tend it. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. It's just the man. He's alone, okay? Um, so now what happens? Well, let's skip ahead and see where the woman comes in. It comes in verse 21. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs 
and closed up the flesh in its place. So you have a divine surgery going on here. Probably no scar. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Literally, ish, ah, because she was taken out of ish. So this is an amazing, I saw a comic just two weeks ago, so funny, that Adam was calling up to God saying, God, can you, you know, make me a helper? And God said, well, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. He says, what can I get for a rib? I don't know. I don't know. Would you admit, men, that God did a pretty good job with just a rib? Amazing. I didn't write that comic. It was not me. But here you have the rib becomes a woman comes from the man. Second, right? So this is the order. We're, we're, we're finding that out. And this is what we, we learned, that she wasn't formed from the dust of the ground like man was. She was formed from the rib. Also, Adam names her, right? Adam names her. He names her woman because she was taken out of man. So this is the point of Corinthians. If we go back to verse 8, keep your finger in Genesis because we're going to come back to it, okay? I don't want to tire your arm there. But go back to Corinthians verse 8. This is his point here. Nor, uh, so for man is not from woman, but woman from man. So he's explaining his statement of verse 7, right? A man shouldn't cover his head because he's the image and glory of God, and the woman is only the glory of man. You go, well, what are you talking about? He goes, for, because man is not from woman, but woman from man. So this is really insightful. Both are made in the image of God. Both are given dominion. But due to the fact that Adam was created first, and woman came from man, it is the man who is the head. He was to manifest God's authority, and when he does, he is the glory of God. The woman, she was made to manifest the authority of the man, and when she does, she's the glory of man. That's what he's talking about. That's why we read last week, 1 Corinthians 14, where it says if a woman wants to learn something in church, she should ask her husband, right? So woman is from man, but also woman is for man. Verse 9. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So we've got from and for. Women come from man, and they're created for man. What, what, how, how, was created, how was she created for man? Go back to the Genesis account. You probably noticed, if you're keen students of the word, that I skipped all the way down to the creation of the woman. I skipped the part as to why she was created. It wasn't the comic. <laughs> Adam did not ask for a helper. I'll no, you'll note that, okay? In fact... This is what it happens in verse 18. It's the Lord that sees it. The Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Adam's not, Adam's not bright enough. Come on, you know men. We, don't, we never ask for help. He didn't go, God, I might need some help. Uh, it was God that says, you're going to need some help, brother. Especially out of what happened next. Look at that verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. That should give us a hint, right? What, who thinks of elephant? Giraffe, right? He, he named the animals. God was probably going, all right, hold on. Which herbs have you been eating in the garden, right? He's just going crazy with these names. He's naming them all. And then he says, um, Adam gave names to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Here's what God's doing. He's like, I'm going to bring all the animals to you, God, I'm, uh, to Adam. I'm going to let you figure this out. And he's like, okay, a he dog and a she dog. Great. 
Good. A he-goat and a she-goat. Yeah, you got it. A he-elephant and a she-elephant. Wait, a he-giraffe and a she... God, I don't have a she. You got it. Go to sleep, right? I'm going to take a rib. I'm going to do some work. This is what's happening, right? He had to see that he needed a helper. Everyone had a mate. Adam didn't have the mate. So God says, now I'm going to give you this mate. And then you have the divine surgery that takes place next, okay? So that's what's happening here. Um, he was needing a suitable helper that was made for him. It was God that noticed that first. He needed a co-regent to help him in his dominion of the world. That is what God has placed man here for, to dominate the world, to rule it in the place of God. And he can't do that alone. He needed a, a co-regent, a helper. And that's why the woman is not the glory of God, but the glory of the man. She's his co-regent. You think back to Joseph in Egypt, right? Was Joseph first in command or second? He was second, right? But everything that he did was making that Pharaoh's name pretty good, right? I mean, I'm sure people are going, are you hearing what's going on in Egypt? Like, they got food. No one else has food. Like, he was making decisions, right, that were unbelievable to help, uh, help the Pharaoh and help the land and help how he ruled everything. And that's the idea here. Now, I said this several times last week, and I want to continue on this. When we talk about women being the glory of man, it does not insinuate inferiority. Women are not less intelligent, less spiritual, less gifted or capable. has nothing to do with competence or capacity or, or ability of any kind. It's simply God's design. And the reason this is also difficult to swallow, I talked a bit about the culture last time, but there's also another element that, that makes this difficult, ladies, and it's in Genesis again. You're still in Genesis. Look at Genesis 3.16. Do you remember after the fall, after sin, God placed a curse? Most women recognize the first curse. There's pain in what? Childbearing, right? And most women, yep, there is. So that's what we find in verse 16. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. But there's more. He says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. What's going on here? See, before the curse, men and women would enjoy the blessing of children and a harmonious partnership in marriage. But because of sin, what was meant to be a blessing now becomes difficulty. That's what happens. Children are still a blessing, right? But now they're brought into the world with pain and difficulty. The harmonious partnership of a, of a marriage would now be cursed with what? The woman's desire for her husband's authority. You're going to desire that, but he's going to be the one to rule over you. It's not a result of the curse. We saw, Paul tells us, it's because man was created first. She came from him and she was made for him. Does that make sense? It's not part of the curse. But what's the curse? The curse is that women are going to always want to desire that. I'm going to want to usurp the authority that's been given there. And you know what? Men have been seen, and, and largely today then, as the enemy. But what, go back to Genesis 3. Who's the enemy there? What's the enemy? It's sin. The curse is a result of sin. Sin is the enemy, not, not men. Right? We have to get ourselves right with God. That's what we need. We've got to make sure our lives line up with him. Sin distorted God's design. So it's only adhering to God's design where we can hope to experience God's blessing for our lives. So for the reasons Paul has given us here, he commands a woman next to have a symbol of authority 
on her head. And this takes us into sort of the next point. It's kind of a strange point, okay? The demonstration before angels, verse 10. Look what he says. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, the symbol simply just takes us back to the reference of a head covering, okay? That's a symbol in that culture of, of submission in the society. But what about that remark about angels? That's kind of strange, isn't it? The basic meaning of angels is, is messengers. So some think this is talking about uh, pastors because of the pastors of the church. I don't think so. I think Paul is talking about angels. Like, why, why, how do we go there? How do we go from this creation to now uh, angels? Well, we're not angels at the creation. Oh, they were. They witnessed the creation of man. Angels were there. And guess what? They're spectators and protectors of the church. They witness what goes on in the church as well. And there's one thing angels understand perfectly well, authority and submission. Because there were certain angels that tried to defy God's authority, didn't they? They got booted out of heaven. But the holy angels watch over the church, and they never question their submissive role to God. You just read Hebrews chapter 1. That's all, and, and into chapter 2, that's what that whole thing is about. That Christ, when he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that he was made more excellent than the angels. It says in there, the, you know, um, God says, which of the angels did I ever say to him, oh, you're my son, today I've begotten you. He's never said that to an angel. Christ is higher than the angels. And we're called, they're called ministering spirits in, in Hebrews there as well. And so they are spectators of the actions that take place in a church and when paul instructed timothy on how to properly conduct a church he mentioned the angels look at this it's first timothy 5 21 i charge you before god and the lord jesus christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice do nothing with partiality what's he saying there well he's saying this is how you need to do to run a church he's he's instructing a young pastor and he says why because you're you're doing it before god you're doing it before the Lord Jesus Christ and the angels. That's what he says. The angels watch over the actions of the church. Further to that, um, you know, like I said, angels were present at the creation. They witnessed the proper design for men and women. So isn't it interesting that Paul says that what we should be concerned a bit about is what the angels might think of what's going on in his church? Interesting. In fact, Paul said, Earlier in 1 Corinthians, we've already covered this, chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? That's interesting. We are in him, in Christ. We're to reign with Christ. And it's possible that we're going to exercise a certain amount of authority over angels. We talked about that back in chapter 6. So what's the idea there? Well, we should be more submissive than the angels whom we will judge one day. Right? Women, you're going to be given authority over angels in heaven. That's incredible. So should you not then be modeling the submission that comes from the divinely created order in the church? Absolutely. So this is, I think, Paul's point coming from uh, verse 11. We have, we have angels who watch over the church and protect the church, and they're concerned about how the church would function here. Now, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to skip over verses 11 and 12, only because, for the moment, it makes a better conclusion because it harmonizes the whole passage. We're going to come back to it. It's going to be the conclusion. Because in verse 13, Paul continues with his points of defense, okay? So we're going to just go to verse 13 for point three, and that's this, the design from nature. We also see this in nature, the design from nature. And we'll just read this whole section because it's pretty straightforward. Verses 13 to 15. 
Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her? For her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, before anyone ducks or anything like that, right, don't worry about what length your hair is. Let me explain what's going on here. He says, you be the judge of the matter. He says, just consider it from a physiological right perspective. It is evident throughout history, not just divine revelation, right? Natural revelation that women generally have longer hair than men, more hair than men. We have three stages. We have a growth stage and then you have sort of like the standing stage and then the fallout stage, okay? That's what you have. Some of you are long time in the fallout stage. But that's why, men, your testosterone does that. It speeds up your process to get to that end stage quicker. Women, women, your uh, estrogen actually slows down that process. You stay in stage one longer than men. That's why you very rarely see a woman who's bald, right? Even old, old women, they've got hair. This is his point. He's like, just even just consider nature, right? This is, this is just obvious of how he's, he's done it. He has given women just a natural covering. And women can do really wonderful and beautiful things with their hair. Did you notice that he says it's a glory for her? You know, we just had a wedding with my son. I'll tell you, this is strange. I know, this is really bizarre. My son did not have a hairdresser come in. No, it's not strange. Have you been to a wedding where a hairdresser comes for the groom? No. Who does the hairdresser come for? The bride, the woman, why? You can do incredible things with your hair. You get it all up and I mean, you come out, you look like a whole different person, right? But beautiful. I've never been to a wedding where a hairdresser wasn't there for the bride. You see it, why? They recognize what you recognize what you have. Girl, you got some glory there, right? And you wanna show it off. And so you tussle it all up and you make it beautiful. It is part of your glory. Now, Paul is just simply saying that, like, look at what God has given you just naturally. Now, I know that's not across the board. Of course, there are extenuating circumstances, but his whole point is this. It's part of what makes a woman a woman. It's part of her femininity, right? What is happening today? We're just blurring the lines between men and women. And Paul is just saying, like, listen, you've got to maintain distinction between men and women. We're talking about the submissive thing, but look at what God has done even in the natural realm. He's tried to make you distinct. Now we're trying to blur it all and say, no, you're just whatever you want. And you can't even tell who's a man or a woman sometimes. Now that's not Paul's whole point. Do men have long hair and stuff? Of course I see men with long hair. It's not his point, right? He's just saying generally when you see this. Now I know what he says here, and some are looking at this, oh no, right? It teaches that a man who has long hair, it's a dishonor to him, okay? Listen, did not men have long hair and that time, they have longer hair than we do, right? What he's saying is this, though, that we don't want to blur the line to where you just can't tell the difference, right? There's just no distinction between men and women. And what was happening with the head coverings and all that, there was a whole role reversal that was taking place. He says, no, 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 turn that back the other way. We've got to make sure there's a distinction. Why? It goes all the way back to creation. God had a plan. He had a design there, and we've got to make sure we stick with that design, design there. Now, just a side note on this, some people think that, that the, the hair for a woman is enough of the symbol authority. Like, oh, that's my symbol authority, I've got hair. He's not making that point. 
He's just saying that, look at what God's done even in the DNA, right? In that culture, it was a veil. It was a head covering. It was something else. What, what is it in our culture? We have, to, we have to just make sure we're just maintaining those distinctions in our lives. That's his point. And verse 16 kind of wraps up what he says here. This comes from the church, the dictate of, a, of the church. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. He's, like, he's bound to have people who want to argue, right? Someone wants to argue their point, and it's going to happen. But Paul is again writing this. He says, we, we again referring to Paul and Sosthenes, who was a Corinthian. He had full knowledge of the Corinthian situation. We refers to also the apostles, right? His point is that all of the other apostles, all the church, uh, churches that, that existed around that time were firmly committed to the practice that women wear longer hair to maintain their distinctiveness as females. And when praying or prophesying, they, they wear head coverings to distinguish themselves as submissive. And he says, you're not going to find another church that has a different custom. That doesn't exist. You want to argue about it. He says, no church. No church has another custom going on right now. That's his point. So he says, listen, just look at the church. This is how it's being observed in our culture and in our churches, and you need to maintain that. That's all he's saying. Now, let's go back to the two verses we, we skipped because they're very important. Verses 11 and 12. Here's where he really harmonizes everything. Verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is a man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. Now, that's very important. Men and women are complementary in every way, but particularly in the Lord, meaning believers. We believers recognize that we are indeed equal as believers. We recognize that. But we recognize that our roles are different in function, but not importance. One is not more important than the other. And in the Lord, we function as a divinely ordained team. You know, we serve each other. That's why women get spiritual gifts too. We serve each other and we serve with each other. We're not independent of one another. That's his point. In verse 12, he says, For as women came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. So yes, the first woman was created from man, from that rib, from Adam. But since then, every single man that's ever existed has come from a woman. Men, you're dependent upon women, Right? You have to have women for people to exist on the planet, right? For men to exist on the planet. They have a, a, um, an amazing responsibility, women here. And I think there's an amazing challenge that we can pull from this, particularly for our Mother's Day. Particularly for Mother's Day. Because women, in particular, have a tremendous opportunity to shape the lives of men, of the future men of our planet. When you read 1 Timothy we talked about that, let a woman learn in silence, right? In submission, I don't permit a woman to teach, right? That whole thing he said, and the reason is Adam was formed first and then Eve. And we read that last week. Well, I didn't go as far as 15. I'm going to give it to you today. This is what he says at the end of that thought. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, he doesn't talk about saved in terms of salvation, Salvation is by grace through faith, right? In Christ Jesus. What's he talking about here? This talks about the curse. This goes back to that. Women, you have an amazing opportunity to shape the lives of men. How? How? I'm putting this subservient you know, role. How can Because you are the ones that have the position of influence largely in the home. I have a great relationship with my older boys, but I will tell you, 
they really need something, they're going to call their mama. I have not met a man who speaks ill of their mom. Unless they had a really bad mom. And those exist, I know. Women have a major role in the development of their children, especially the boys. And usually because men, we're, we're at work. We're not as home as much. And women have the shaping influence in the lives of our kids. That's what Paul's saying. He said, listen, that is not a low role you've been given. House, spouse, children. There's, there's no hope for women in that role. Quite the opposite. He says, you're saved. You're saved out of this cursed life when you really give yourself to the future generations that you bring into this world. Do you see what he says? This, this harmonizes everything. Women have a major role. All future human beings come through women. That's the truth. And you know what, women? I know you largely look at Proverbs 31 as like, oh gosh, I hate Proverbs 31. There's no such woman like that. Don't even do it, Kevin. But I'm going to do it. You can start throwing your things at the end. But Proverbs 31, here's my point. You maybe don't recognize this. When you read Proverbs 31, okay, there's two poems, aren't there? There's the wise king and the virtuous wife. And they are both teachings of a godly mother. Both of them. Look at Proverbs 31. I'll just, I'll just read it. Verse, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Bet you just skip past that, don't you? Here's a king a future king. And he says, I'll tell you what I've learned. I learned it from mom. Let me tell you what my mom taught me about ruling as a king. He told me to, she told me to avoid overindulgence, right? Be careful not to uh, consume myself with, with women in my life, right? And to be overindulged with gold and silver and those things. She taught me a lot of those kind of things, those practical things. And that's what King Lemuel is telling you at the beginning. My mom taught me this. Why? Because he had a mom that cared about being there enough to influence him. And then you read Proverbs 31, and it's, it's absolutely amazing, right? You have a couple verses there that talk about her marriage, tells us that she is loyal, that she's trustworthy. Verse 11 says, the heart of her husband safely trusts her. Why? Why does he trust her? Because she's by his side. They work together on these things. And he can say, you know what, honey, I'm going to let you take this. You got it. That's the idea. It's a partnership. He trusts her. There's not distrust there. The next section talks about her behavior, that she's resourceful, sacrificial, hardworking. Her actions actually contributed to her husband's position in the community. You look at verse 23, her husband is known in the gates. How is he known in the gates? Because of his wife, because of the virtue, virtuous nature of his wife. Remember Ruth and Boaz? Even Boaz says, oh, don't worry, you know, everyone knows that you're a woman of virtue. Because virtue says a lot, it speaks to men. And it spoke to the kind of wife this man had to the point where he was heralded in the gates as a good man because he had such a good wife by his side. You talk about her character, verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Women, you have that. You have the influence in the lives of your kids and the lives of others. And they don't even have to be your kids in this room, do they, right? You all have influence in the lives of others and you can use it for good. Talks about her role in family. In verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Why does he praise her? Because he loves her. That's honor. He's given honor to his wife. Is that a low, demeaning position? I don't think so. And then it ends with her spiritual life. 
In verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That, that is, that is a woman. That's the role of a woman. And the role of a godly woman is to understand God's design, his place for you, and for you to flourish in that place. That's what we call women's ministry, flourish, right? Because you understand what God's will is for your life, and you live in it, and you grow. Talk about fearing the Lord kind of goes with the whole theme of doing all for the glory of God, doesn't it? When we came out of the Christian liberty idea, right? Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Those women weren't doing that. Paul's correcting it a bit. He's like, listen, that's not going to be to the glory of God. You want to do all to the glory of God. And that includes living within his design. He's done it for a reason. There's order in life, but there's also this complementary relationship that takes place. And when those two work together the way they're supposed to, then there's real blessing. I think many of our nations aren't experiencing true blessing because that has gone out the window to the point where like, we don't even care what's male or female anymore, right? We just like ditch it all. And so today, I will proudly tell you today, I am happy to praise mothers. I'm happy to praise all of our women to say, you are so valuable to God. This is not, this is not a, we've placed women on a lesser a podium uh, somewhere. Not at all. Not at all. Women are equal to men in the world and in the church and before God. A married man cannot be faithful to the Lord unless he's dependent upon the wonderful companion and helper that God has given him. And a pastor cannot be faithful to the Lord unless he's dependent upon the women to whom he's given responsibility in the church. And you know what? Today's Mother's Day. We're going to honor our women today because you play a vital role in society and in the home and in the church. And we love you. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for our women today. We thank you that your word speaks so clearly to the role of women, Lord, what you've designed them for and how they uh, should walk in obedience to your design. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the examples of Scripture. We could have looked at so many examples of godly women in, in, uh, in the Bible. I just chose to, to look at the one in Proverbs there. But, Lord, there are so many wonderful examples, and there's wonderful examples in our church. Well, I, I could just bring up woman after woman up here to just say, look at how she has embraced God's design, how she's walking in obedience to him, and how her life is flourishing. Lord, just thank you for um, the, our ladies. I pray that you would bless them today, that they would truly feel how... Uh, treasured and loved they are most importantly lord because of how uh, much you love them god thank you for giving us this time today again we praise you for the space the building that we could come together lord and to and to just fellowship to see one another face to face uh, it is good lord pray that you would just continue to be our great provider lord you know our needs we will trust in you in jesus name we pray amen